0: Welcome to Dialogue with State Senator Paul LaVota, your electronic town hall meeting. Join Senator LaVota, Independence Mayor Pro Tem Chris Whiting, and activist Courtney Cole for this weekly discussion about Missouri government and politics. Now here's the Missouri State Senator from the 11th District, Paul LaVota.
1: And welcome to Dialogue. This is State Senator Paul LaVota of the 11th Senatorial District. I represent the 178,000 people. Who live in Independence, Kansas City, Lee Summit, Raytown, Buckner, Tarzney, Sugar Creek, unincorporated areas. This is my 11th year in the General Assembly, my third year in the Senate, and I'm glad to be here. Dialogue is our program where we talk about uh, state government and uh, local politics and all kinds of fun stuff. And we're doing a very special episode this week because we're live from room 330 in state capitol that's my office and uh we're here because we're still in session we have two more weeks left of session and typically this would be the part where i would enthusiastically say hello to my good friend independence mayor pro tem chris whiting (laughs) but he's not here so um (laughs) we're gonna move on and we're this is when i would say well chris isn't here so that's okay, because we're going to en- enthusiastically introduce activist Courtney Cole. Yay! Yes. And Courtney's not here either. So um, this is uh, um, a new and improved show, I guess, because I'm glad to have um, some my staff down here in Jefferson City. Jill Quick is my legislative assistant. Welcome, Jill.
2: Hey,
1: Yay. Jill. You're, you started working with me this year.
3: Yes. In November.
1: Okay. Well glad you're here and I can see you were gonna add as much as Chris usually adds in the program. <laughs> so I appreciate that. But can I really be like
3: the mayor then?
1: Yeah, you can be the mayor pro tem, really.
4: But you gotta get that deep voice, that deep radio voice. That, that deep—he's
1: got—he's got, has such a great voice for radio and but a great face for radio. The
4: listeners can't see that we're we're using hand signals right now, but right. I hope they can understand. I think they
3: can know
1: that.
4: It and I control.
1: also like to introduce our number one intern, Dan Mika. Micah. Micah. I knew I was gonna say that wrong.
4: You, know, you Dan Mika. You and every single teacher I've ever had. Dan
1: Mika. and Dan is a uh, junior at, from the. Uh, Truman State University, a That's journalism right. major, mm-hmm. and you've been here the whole time helping I've us been this session. I've here
4: every single day. I don't. I don't. I intend to have a perfect record.
1: Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, what you do, all that stuff?
4: All right. Well, uh, like it's like the center said before. My name is Dan Micah. Uh, I'm a journalism major at Truman State University. I'm originally from the North Side of Chicago. Um, cool Cubs. Go go Cubs! Yes, uh, that's not something I hear a lot down here, but I just deal with it. Um, uh, a lot of people like to ask me, "Well, why did you go to Truman if you're from Chicago?" Sure, and, I uh,
1: yeah, we do like to ask you that.
4: Yeah, and the reason for that is I'm one of five kids. Uh, my family isn't isn't the most uh, affluent, and uh, I decided um, you know one day I got an email from my college counselor saying. Um, I know you're looking for, uh, value schools uh-huh. and, uh, Truman State University, it's a tiny little school, but it's only $12,000 out of state and, uh, that's before scholarships. Um, and all of the offers that I have from in-state schools, uh, like Eastern Illinois, Western Illinois, they were all asking for about, uh, after scholarships, I would have to be pulling out about $12,000 a year just to yeah. go to those schools. So I decided to go to Truman. I knew it was going to be a hard school to go to. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they they recommend when you go down to college visits that instead of just talking to the tour guide because they're supposed to be peppy and cheery. Right, they're the salespeople. They're the salespeople. Yeah. You're supposed to just go to the sub or just you know find someone just studying somewhere and ask them uh-huh. like, hey, let me buy you some coffee and let's just talk about this place for a right. little bit. And people, and some people did not like it there just because of how oh, hard it is to hard. study. Yeah, um,
1: you're on the verge of flunking out yourself, right? I am. That's why I took this internship. <laughs> I knew that no, you're the, not. I knew that the <laughs> center would give me an easy A, right.
4: and that just boosts my uh my uh, GPA. But no, I have, I've got like a solid 3.2 right good.
1: now. that's excellent. And yeah. Truman, Truman State is a very good s- school, and uh, we've always had really outstanding interns from truman state they have a great program for the internship mm-hmm. here and uh, you've done an amazing job so thanks for helping out you not you, only senator. have you helped out with um the legislation and everything but you're 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 helping out in the chris whiting spot right now that's a pretty big <laughs> deal so and you listen you're one of the people who listen to the podcast right yeah,
4: i try to listen as much as possible yeah. um you know i just no offense senator sure i just don't know enough about independence to be able to follow that kind of st- yeah like the independent stuff so i kind of cut around like minute 10 15 once once you guys are done with Charles, the there is
1: a natural there's a natural break there in the show when we talk about important stuff and then we move on to chris and then yeah. then you know that that works out that good but you i don't know if did you listen to it last week
4: uh i just didn't have time
1: of course you didn't because we didn't have one last week and the week before we <laughs> didn't do one And the reason is we're down here in Jefferson City. This is the time of year when it becomes uh, very busy and very um, – it rolls up, not rolls down. We start getting all the different legislation. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm here today. We'll have a session tomorrow on a Friday, which we typically haven't had one on a Friday um, for many, many years. And then next week is the last week where everything happens, and then constitutionally we're done. Um, We have to be done by 6 o'clock next Friday. No, so, with that said, we're going to do the weekly new round, weekly news roundup.
0: Now, the weekly news roundup brought to you by the good folks at Liberty Realty. Here's Chris Whitey.
1: Since Chris or Courtney's not here, I'll just try to go through what we did. Okay, All right. pipe in here in a little bit. So, since the last time we met, we uh, sent the governor a twenty-six billion dollar budget. Um, some of those things were really um, um, you know, they, what they did is they took, they made the budget early to make sure the governor has time to approve them before the end of session. Um, I objected to um, the way that we fund education, the way that we're funding higher education, and in uh, one of the appropriation bills, it's House Bill 11, we continue to cut, um, un- underfund um, some of those things that help mental health patients and some of those segments of Medicaid. It's the wrong way to go. Uh, I could get into my uh, lecture about tax policy, which I'm, I know people listening to the show have heard before, that we continue to cut taxes, high-five each other down here, and then we don't have enough money to um, pay for the things that are important. And this budget, unfortunately, does the same thing. Yeah, we, yeah go ahead. MMA, so yeah.
4: um, a lot of people... When they read news stories or they just hear stories about the budget, you know it's it's a very abstract thing, um, and sometimes, uh, as, as a reporter, it's our job to bring that to life. And I have I have a good story that kind of brings that to life. Okay. So last year, uh, while I was working for the school paper, I came across some data uh, that the that the uh, counseling center does. Now there's this call uh, program called Partners in Prevention. It's uh, run by the University of Missouri and the um, they have partner universities with twenty one other with the twenty one other public universities around the state, and uh, they found out that Truman students are twice as likely to uh, have a major depressive episode. They are uh, a third time. They are uh, about three times more likely to try to commit self harm. Oh my goodness! And when I was statistic, I I'm trying to remember back to the story, but just compared to. Every almost every other school in the state, Truman students are just way are just don't have enough mental health, um, um, uh, not funding, uh, but support.
1: support. You and think it has to do with how rigorous it is?
4: It does. Um, okay. The problem is, you see, um, I wrote that story and then I talked to people at the counseling center. And they said, you know, because of the budget cuts, we just don't have the funding to right. bring in more people. And every year uh, at the end of the semester, you know, right before midterms, like the week or two before midterms and then the week or two before finals, they have so many people, com- so many kids coming into UCS trying to get help that they have to put pe- people are on waiting lists. Mm-hmm. And well, I- that
1: that's a perfect example. And what I've been trying to uh, explain to folks is that it's more than just a budget cut because what we've done in the 11 years I've seen this this radical majority go through, what they want to do is continue to cut cut taxes. In fact, uh, Governor Nixon and many of his state of the states have said well, no new taxes. So they paint themselves in a corner not being able to uh, create the revenue to pay for these things. They cut taxes. Last year we passed Senate Bill 509 which cuts um, people over $500,000. When it's fully implemented, it'll be about $700 million out of our revenue. Mm-hmm. And so then it then, then it comes budget time and we don't have the money to do these things. So that's really how we keep dwindling down and down because we want to uh, continually follow this um, um, cut taxes, trickle down uh, myth that doesn't mm-hmm. work. So... Your story is, is is one I'll use if it's okay sometime because, it's, it, you know, we can sit here and say, look, we cut taxes. Well, years later there's going to be a kid who needs some support that's not there. Mm-hmm. And that's – we well, especially for Truman State, we make them rigorous and then we don't give them support to get through there. So that's a good example of that. So, okay, back to – so that's one thing. Thank you, Dan. Mm-hmm. The news, too, we – this week we um, – charter expansion and student transfer bill passes um, – I uh, we passed House Bill 42 would dealt with with transfers, but in my estimation, we ended up putting an education bill, that expanded charter schools in areas that didn't need it. And um, it ends up being a bad bill um, because it expands basically those charter and public schools and does little to address the ta- transfer situation. Uh, there's a possible talk of a gubernatorial veto. But we shouldn't have uh, these unaccredited districts not get the support, and then meanwhile have our public money go to charter school. So I was uh, very much against House Bill 42. Unfortunately, that was passed this week. We did pass some municipal court reform. Um, that uh, was Senate Bill 5. That would cap 20% of the most of for most Missouri cities. And 12.5 percent for municipalities in St. Louis County on f- traffic fines and fees. I don't know if you've been following this at all. That mm-hmm. the traffic fines and fees have really made law enforcement officials into tax collectors and are really beginning some type of harassment of people, um, especially in the St. Louis County area. And it's the wrong way to go. And I'm and, glad we got this.
4: And, and, this, is some, and this is another uh, another thing. Um, the Truman interns, um, I'm mm-hmm. not the only Truman intern here, What? those of you. What? Okay. Uh, there's, uh, I think, 13 of us, and we all, uh, Monday from 9 to 11, uh, we all gather and we just uh, talk about what's happening in the week. And uh, our uh, advisor asked us um, if we were governor, um, and I you know, I try to stay away from that because I don't want to pretend I'm the governor. It's yeah. scary. It's like a nightmare. <laughs> um, if I was... if. I was governor what would I do to try to fix the situation at Ferguson and a lot of students said you have to figure out how to like break down institutional racism you have to figure out how to break down you know the mis- municipal courts and it and you know it's it's so hard just to break down like trying to solve racism right is something that is been such a problem and you know you're not going to knock it out mm-hmm. um Without years and years of social change and uh, policy change, so I said, and you know, I'm taking a I'm ripping straight out of your playbook. I Please. said, face, Rip fix the away. tax policy because if, right. you, if the municipal courts, because if the municipalities aren't able to, if they feel the need that they have to increase their revenue this way because they don't have enough support from either their local tax base or from the states. Then yeah, they're going to go and and tax pe- and tax people by, via speeding tickets, and uh, I'm still I may not be the most unbiased opinion on this because I've been ticketed twice on my way to and fro the Capitol.
1: Yeah. So, well, that's the point of, of Senate Bill Five is um, make sure the f- the fines are fair. The cities aren't trying to use it to collect their regular general revenue, and um, maybe that institutional. Uh, harassment that we ask police officers to do yeah. to be cl- that this will subside. That I, I'm hoping that's a step there. I hope so, and so, you
4: know, I'm willing to reach across the aisle. Uh, thank you, Senator Schmidt, for just trying to get this bill done.
1: Now you're only saying that because Senator Schmidt is a Truman State graduate.
4: Yes, and he also has a Truman intern.
1: Okay, all right. Well, there you go. Now another big news this week <laughs> was the 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 GOP override veto of bill cutting benefits for kids. The Republican-controlled General Assembly on May 5th overrode Democratic Governor Jane Nixon's veto of legislation that will strip more than 6,300 Missouri children of their welfare benefits when it takes effect on January 1st. The override came on votes of 25 to 9 in a straight-party vote in the Senate and 111 to 36 in the House of Representatives. I stood up for quite a bit and talked about this. Um, the idea that we need to have people who are getting temporary assistance for their family, um, searching for a job makes sense, but anything that hurts these um, 6,300 children that are not going to have benefits through no fault their own is the wrong way to go. I think the governor, when he vetoed it, was very brisk and cl- crisp when he was very to the point saying this hurts kids, and I'm glad he vetoed it. Unfortunately, it was overridden, and that's kind of how it goes when um, the radical majority has this. So. That happened this week. Um.
4: And another thing to point out on that, which, uh, you know, I'm just trying to analyze this from, like, how I'm trained to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a look at, at this fiscal note when it was truly agreed to about the past. Okay. And uh, in the in fiscal year 2016, it'll cut about, it'll save the state about $400,000. Not a ton, but, you know, it's a pretty good savings. But from fiscal year twenty seventeen onwards, it's look, because uh, the bill requires the department, of, um, the department to interview and make sure that people are getting these work benefits, um, and they're just con- and they're requiring the, uh, the P- department of social services, mm-hmm. is that right? To just constantly require uh, investigate and make sure that people are are looking for work. That it's going to it's going to cost the state just under fifty thousand dollars a year just to do that. So, I I understand that there's a rhetorical bene, there's a rhetorical benefit to the Republicans what they're trying to do and trying to appeal mm-hmm. to their base. Yeah, that but, and that's why I said on
1: but, the Senate floor, if you remember that, um, that I thought it was just political. They don't even save any money,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and then they don't even make it make it easier for. Uh, a family to get out of that situation. It, it's it just true. simply so they can go back to their base and say, "Look, we cut welfare."
4: And it's just a very, you Santa- know, it, it, it's very hard in my mind to answer the question: Why is the state paying just under fifty thousand dollars to not support poor kids? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something that if I was that if I was a professional reporter right now. I'd be asking mm-hmm. uh, Senator Seder or whoever else was really pushing for this.
1: Right. Well, it's it's a shame that that's where we are. And uh, we've heard our opinions. Jill?
3: I agree completely with both of you.
2: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. No,
3: I think I could say one thing. I could yeah, just say good. that I don't think that people think about the children enough. And um, that... They're just thinking about their own incomes all the time and not about and, and about people not contributing. They always bring that up. Mm-hmm. And they don't think about the kids who have no say in any of that.
4: Yeah.
3: And they're the well, ones good. that are punished. I like,
4: she's, I like how she's bringing up the uh, Maude Flanders line of argument. <laughs> what about oh, the won't children? somebody think of the children? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's excellent. So that's, that's our version of the Weekly News Roundup brought to you by the good folks at Liberty Realty. So, this is the point of the show when I would say, Chris, what's going on with Independence?
4: Well, Senator, I don't know. I, I have never been to Independence. So. He, this
1: is what he says. Deep voice. Uh, well, I had some meetings with the mayor. Everything's going great in Independence. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I miss Chris. So we, 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 Jill, I know you listen to the podcast. I know you were looking it up on the internet one time
3: yes I. I under podcast so yeah. yes.
1: and so you can tell me and chris and i miss him when he's not here so a couple of things just to, to touch base on is some of the things that i've worked on i was glad to see that uh we passed house bill 384 and you may you may say well senator Lovoto, why is that one so important here let
3: me say that yeah senator lavota why is that one so important? <laughs> great
1: question jill um the Missouri, Missouri's tax code has not been reviewed in 40 years. And in that bill, the what we're calling the Dixon-Lavota plan to review, Bob Dixon-Paul-Lavota plan, to review Missouri's tax code was passed. Uh, we had a bill to uh, do that. We attached it to a house bill. So now there's going to be a study commission that will be responsible for conducting a detailed multi-year assessment of Missouri's tax system. I am very, very excited about this because I continually say our tax policy is out of whack. We're not paying for mm-hmm. the things that we have. The, my conservative friends, like Bob Dixon, Senator Bob Dixon of Springfield, would say, oh, we're weighing, paying way too much taxes. What this commission will do, will look to the bottom of where we are on things mm-hmm. and, and look at um, this tax code that was last time was updated was 1968.
4: Do you think that's a long time ago? I mean, I, was, I didn't exist.
1: How dare you? That's when I was born. How dare you <laughs> say I am old? Yeah, so that's how old it is. So I'm glad that we, we got that through um, and uh, it passed and has been signed by the governor. So that is one of those things that um, I, I include on my newsletter, if you get my newsletter. But it's not as – some of these issues, schools, roads – the little more tangible. This is one of those background things that have, well, I believe, what fundamental change to us in the future that will really benefit folks. So I'm excited by that.
4: Are you on that commission? Uh, that? no.
1: Well, the the commission is going to be made of some elected officials, so I'll I'll, I'll work to be on there. Mm-hmm. But also, we're trying to get some um, folks that are um, um, citizens, of course, and some uh, experts when it comes to tax policy, so we can really review the issue. Uh. That was good news. Ready for some bad news I want, need to update you with? Are you yeah, ready? Let's, yeah, hit, well, hit me, Senator. Here's the thing I sent out to my constituents. Effort to raise the minimum wage was blocked by the Republican Party. Wah, wah. Uh, yesterday? Was it yesterday or the day before? Anyway, we're doing this on a Thursday. Thursday, May 7th. I forgot to say it at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Um... I offered an amendment to House Bill 722 to increase Missouri's minimum wage from its current position of $765 to $10 per hour. The Republican Party in the Senate called the amendment out of order which stopped the possibility of the vote. I wanted to have that discussion to talk about the benefits of this. And I believe that using a procedural vote to avoid accountability just shows how attached the the, uh, Republicans are. When we have... Uh, minimum wage it would help approximately 70,000 people who are trying to make ends meet and I've continually said and it is a a line I stole from the President of the United States it's difficult if not impossible to work to support a family on $15,000 a year if you think it's easy then try that and that's why we need to raise it my bill raises only to $10 and that was rejected by the Senate on a bill that made sense to do so That's really frustrating to me. Um, What's even more frustrating, I believe, that the people of Missouri want the minimum wage increased. The other thing that they want is campaign finance limits. Mm -hmm. And the other thing they want is Medicaid expansion. And those are three things I've pushed on the Senate floor and been either voted down or used some type of,
4: of of uh, procedural, procedural
1: move, not to be accountable to the people of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are big issues. I think we should talk about the big issues, and uh, that's frustrating. Now, uh, we are also debating a increase in the gas tax that would help um, fund some of our road needs. Uh, I was alerted that the bridge. Over two ninety one, the northbound bridge. You know where that is, Dan?
4: Is it somewhere in Jackson County?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it is from Sugar Creek on two ninety one, going over to River Bend, right there in the eleventh senatorial district. Uh, We got alerted that, and they sent MoDOT sent me pictures that it is uh, unsafe. They closed that bridge, and it it uh, highlights a little bit of the issue that we need to do something to invest in our roads and and um, our roads and, and our bridges. What was interesting about it? See if you guys have any comments on this. Maybe you don't. It's hard for staff to look at me and comment on it. Get it? Um, that I was alerted of this about 3 p.m. and then at 5 p.m. we got a a uh, notice from the governor that he's going to go have a press conference there to talk about the need for it. So he did that on Thursday, May 7th. So I don't haven't got the report back on how that went, but. Right in the middle of trying to persuade other people to be for this. So, mm-hmm. um, hope there's not a bridge gate or anything going on. I am just think it's strange the timing. You're a reporter. Would you I, ask that question? You
4: know what? Um, I've been on several of Missouri's bridges and roads. Uh-huh. And I. The thing is, it. it yeah, it does sound kind of fishy. But, you know, I have to trust Moda um, because I'm not an expert in bridge safety or uh, really road infrastructure in general. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll put it in his word,
1: but. You know what I should do? I'll do the same. I yeah. mean, that, that makes sense. We'll do it that way. Um, it just, um, you know, some of these things are so simple. The original bill was two cents per gallon mm-hmm. on the gas tax for, for two cents this year, two cents next year. Two cents after that. Pardon me. A total six cents. It's been scaled all the way down to one and a half cents for regular gas, three and a half for diesel. So it's been scaled down pretty good already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a modest proposal. I think we should do it. But I don't know if going to the district of a, some elected representatives who already support it is, helps persuade other people in the, in the capital to vote for the issue. I, Does that make sense?
4: Uh, the the optics of it is that the governor cares about the bridges and the governor cares about the roads, um, and that's just kind of the message they're trying to they're uh, trying to send out. Um, yeah.
1: Well, we we just leave it at that, I guess. Maybe
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's the optics, and I I think more work could be done, and which leads me to my next thing. I was also interviewed by. And Dan, I don't know if you know this, but I was interviewed yesterday by the Missouri Digital News.
4: Yeah, the uh, the gentleman with the uh, little radio recorder yes. walked in. Yes,
1: as he walked in, I tipped my soda can all over the floor, and <laughs> it was, I was nervous. And the Missouri Digital News is a radio news outlet from out of the University of Missouri, and uh, there was a reporter, and the headline says, Lawmakers say Nixon did not keep his promise.
5: In the governor's State of the State address, he said he would be around the Capitol more often. Independence Democratic Senator Paul Lovota says he hasn't seen the governor around the Capitol at all and that he hasn't been very involved in the legislature, but says this isn't anything
1: new. In fact, even when things came up to override, I haven't heard from him like, please don't override or thanks for not overriding or anything like that. So I think he has continued his very hands-off Um, Approach to the legislature.
5: The governor's office did not respond to a request for comment. Reporting from the state capitol, I'm Michael Lindquist.
1: The point of that story is that I'm commenting that the governor's not very involved. Um, And so I go on to say first that I haven't seen the governor around, and then I go on to say that um, his presence should be greater in the capitol
5: in the governor's state of the state address jay nixon said he would have a greater presence around the capitol than in the past independence democratic senator paul lavota says nixon hasn't been very involved during this legislative session and he says it's making
1: legislators jobs harder it's a little more difficult to try to have to come overcome those things so i'm still waiting on um the decision item that affects my area and i Always under the
5: budget. Governor Nixon's office did not respond to a request for comment. Reporting from the state capitol, I'm Michael Lindquist.
1: Now I'm not the only one that says that. Uh, Kurt Schaefer, Republican of Columbia, has the same uh, point of view.
5: Nixon said in his State of the State address that he would, quote, be coming around more often. Columbia Republican Senator Kurt Schaefer says he hasn't seen much of the governor around the Capitol during this legislative session.
0: I think I had
3: uh, two meetings with him, which is probably two more meetings than I had with him over the budget last year. Uh, but, you know, he really hasn't been that engaged other than, I will say, the last uh, two days.
5: The governor's office did not respond to a request for comment. Reporting from the
1: State Capitol, I'm Michael Linquist. So,
2: Senator, so
1: those you? are those are the stories. I'm gonna, p- by the way, I'm gonna pop in these stories mm-hmm. when I edit this. So, can, I, can I ask you, yeah. how
4: many uh, how many times have you seen the governor uh, this session?
1: Uh, seen,
4: S- yes, or just interacted with the governor?
1: Z- well, interaction. Uh, he came to one of our caucus meetings.
4: Mm-hmm. So just one. Yes. Well, that's. Uh, that really doesn't help his cause because I've interacted with him twice. Uh-huh. This, uh this uh set uh like a couple weeks ago I would I was grabbing the mail from the mail room in the little basement. Oh yeah, you were on the elevator with him. Yep, and I was in I was, I was in there with him and his uh like six man security detail. Um you know, we just chatted, talked about the weather a little bit. Um
1: Did you ask him about the crime lab at all for me?
4: I did not. I didn't okay. feel it was my place to do Fair that. Enough. Um and then the other time um, I was talking to, I got to speak with him a little bit, um, during, or, uh, right after a press conference. I think right after, um, uh, Nicole Galloway was, um, announced as the, uh, new auditor. As the new auditor. Um, I, have asked him a couple questions, uh, as a reporter at Truman State. Um, even though I've had to got, I've had to deal more with his, uh, more with his press corps uh his not press corps uh his communication staff a little bit but mm-hmm. uh i don't know how great you know that looks for him when he works more with a senator's intern than he does the
1: right secretary. well and and as this as the story indicated it's not um it's not a me issue it's a it's a engagement issue mm-hmm. so um that is uh frustrating the last thing i wanted to to uh, talk about is, let's see if you guys who's going to win the competition. Why is May 8th important?
3: Oh, I think I know. Yes, Jill. Yes, I you think Jill, Harry you buzzed Truman's in for. It's Truman's birthday. Yay! Yay!
1: You did it. May 8th is the 131st birthday of, of Harry Truman. And we celebrated in the Capitol.
3: We did. What we did had we do? birthday cake today.
1: We had birthday cake. We invited everyone there. I did a point of personal privilege to talk about how we should look at Harry Truman as an example. Um, you know, they named it Truman State, but he never went to college. He just was yeah, self-educated and read every book in the Independence Library.
4: Isn't he one, of, I think, one of only two that uh, presidents that were never uh, college educated?
1: Well, I think back in, like, Abraham Lincoln clearly didn't go to college, but he was mm-hmm. studying, a, another attorney became a lawyer. So, yeah. I don't know what how they count that, but, um, in the modern times... Yeah, that's that's how Harry did it, and he was a mm-hmm. remarkable. A, an average person who did remarkable things is the best way to describe him. And um, it's you know for me, everyone says, well, how do why did you get in politics? Well, when you grow up in Independence, Missouri, and you see a normal man can make a difference, it was pretty inspiring. And it took uh, his courage and his hard work to do some great things. Uh, he was quoted as saying that he felt like the, the moons, the stars, and the planets fell on top of him when he became president after FDR died. Mm-hmm. But if you look at where, what he did, uh, whether it's stopping World War II, the, um, the, the Marshall Plan, the uh, recognition of Israel, the integration of the military, the, um, the Truman Doctrine, um you know i could go on and on of these great things that that were still benefiting the creation of the united nations i mean there's all kinds of stuff that he built and um i think it's important to talk about that i want to play uh for our listeners his speech when he uh, accepted the democratic nomination for president in 1948 he was the incumbent president but it wasn't a done deal he was even going to get the Democratic nominee mm-hmm. and he did he gave a, a speech that outlined the differences between um, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party when it comes to job creation who they're working for working people what we need to do for housing low taxes education he said uh, not everyone likes everyone likes to have low taxes but we must reduce the national debt in times of prosperity and when tax relief can be given it ought to go to those who need it most and not those who need it least this republican rich man this republican rich man's tax bill did what they passed over my veto for the third try what he's saying is the republicans are trying to cut cut taxes for the rich and not the poor he went on to talk about uh, that they were do nothing and they need to go back into um session on turn up day which is july 26th. And work on national health care, civil rights, increasing the minimum wage. What I'm getting at is, I would like people to listen to it, because the themes are so similar to even what we do today. And we can think that we face so many challenges now, but in truth, we probably didn't have as bad. We probably don't have as bad as Harry did. So we can all buck up. Um, if we can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. But we can see that we can move on with our problems. I'm telling myself that as I enter the last week of session, where there's threats of of passing a so-called right-to-work bill, uh, passing a, a bill that would disenfranchise folks because they have to have a, a government-issued photo ID. These things are bad things. We need to show strength and move on. And I think the people in Missouri will see that stuff. So I'm going to play this now, and um, I think it's really interesting. About 20 minutes long, but it's it's uh, it will add to our overall project. Here is the speech to the Democratic National Convention by Harry Truman of Independence, Philadelphia, July 15th, 1948.
6: I can't tell you how very much I appreciate the honor which you have just conferred upon me. I shall continue to try to deserve it. Nomination. And I want to thank this convention for its unanimous nomination of my good friend and colleague, Senator Barkley of Kentucky. He's a great man and a great public servant. Senator Berkeley and I will win this election and make these Republicans like it. Don't you forget that. <laughs> we'll do that because they're wrong and we're right, and I'll prove it to you in just a few minutes. This convention met to express the will and reaffirm the beliefs of the Democratic Party. There have been differences of opinion, and that's the Democratic way. Those differences have been settled by a majority vote, as they should be. Now it's time for us to get together and beat the common enemy, and that's up to you. We'll be working together for victory in a great cause. Victory has become a habit of our party. It's been elected four times in succession, and I'm convinced it will be elected the fifth time next November. The reason is that the people know that the Democratic Party is the people's party and the Republican Party is the party of special interest and it always has been and always will be. (laughs) The record of the Democratic Party is written in the accomplishments of the last 16 years. I don't need to repeat them. They've been very ably placed before this convention by the keynote speaker, the candidate for vice president, and by the permanent chairman. <laughs> Confidence and security have been brought to the American people by the Democratic Party. Farm income has increased from less than $2.5 billion in 1933 to more than $18 billion in 1947. Never in the world were the farmers of any republic or any kingdom or any other country as prosperous as the farmers of the United States. And if they don't do their duty by the Democratic Party, they're the most ungrateful people in the world. and salaries in this country have increased from 29 billion dollars in 1933 to more than 128 billion dollars in 1947. That's labor and labor never had but one friend in politics and that was the Democratic Party and Franklin D. Roosevelt. say to labor just what I've said to the farmers. They are the most ungrateful people in the world if they pass the Democratic Party by this year. (laughs) The total national income has increased from less than $40 billion in 1933 to $203 billion in 1947, the greatest in all the history of the world. These benefits have been spread to all the people, because it's the business of the Democratic Party to see that the people get a fair share of these things. This last, worst 80th Congress proved just the opposite for the Republicans. The record on foreign policy of the Democratic Party is that the United States has been turned away permanently from isolationism. And we've converted the greatest and best of the Republicans to our viewpoint on that subject. (laughs) The United States has to accept its full responsibility for leadership in international affairs. We have been the backers and the, the people who organized and started the United Nations first started under that great Democratic president, Woodrow Wilson, as the League of Nations. And the League was sabotaged by the Republicans in 1920, and we must see that the United Nations continues a strong and going body so we can have everlasting peace in the world. <laughs> We've removed the trade barriers in the world, which is the best asset we can have for peace. Those trade barriers must not be put back into operation again. We have started the foreign aid program, which means the recovery of Europe and China and the the Far East. We instituted the program for Greece and Turkey. And I'll say to you that all these things were done in a cooperative bipartisan manner. The foreign relations committees of the Senate and the House were taken into the full confidence of the President in every one of these moves. And don't let anybody tell you anything else. As I've said time and time again, foreign policy should be the policy of the whole nation and not a a policy of one party or the other. Partisanship should stop at the water's edge, and I shall continue to preach that through this whole campaign. (laughs) I'd like to say a word or two now about what I think the Republican philosophy is, and I'll speak from actions and from history and from experience. The situation in 1932 was due to the policies of the Republican Party control of the government of the United States. The Republican Party, as I said a while ago, favors the privileged few and not the common everyday man. Ever since its inception, that party has been under the control of special privilege and they concretely proved it in the 80th Congress. They proved it by the things they did to the people and not for them. They proved it by the things they failed to do. Now let's look at some of them, just a few. Time and time again, I recommended the extension of price control before it expired on June 30th, 1946. I asked for that extension in September 1945, in November 1945, in the message on the State of the Union in 1946. That price control legislation didn't come to my desk until June 30th. 1946, on the day on which it was supposed to expire. And I, it was such a rotten bill that I couldn't sign it. And 30 days after that, they sent me one that was just as bad and I had to sign it because they quit and went home. <coughs> it was said when old P.A. died, that prices would adjust themselves for the benefit of the country. They've adjusted themselves all right. They've gone all the way off the chart in adjusting themselves at the expense of the consumer and for the benefit of the people that hold the goods. I called a special session of Congress in November 1947, and, uh, November the 17th, 1947. And I set out, set out a 10-point program For the welfare and benefit of this country, among other things, stand by price controls. I got nothing. Congress has still done nothing. Way back four and a half years ago, while I was in the Senate, we passed a housing bill in the Senate, known as the Wagner-Ellender-Taft bill. It was a bill to clear the slums in the big cities and to help erect low-rent housing. That bill, as I said, passed the Senate four years ago. It died in the House. That bill was reintroduced in the 80th Congress as the Taft-Ellender-Wagner Bill. Name was slightly changed. But it was practically the same bill, and it passed the Senate. It was allowed to die in the House of Representatives. The Banking and Currency Committee sat on that bill. It was finally forced out of the committee. Then the Rules Committee took charge, and it's still in the Rules Committee. But desperate pleas from Philadelphia in that convention that met here three weeks ago couldn't get that housing bill passed. They passed a bill they called a housing bill, which isn't worth the paper it's written on. (laughs) the field of labor we needed moderate legislation to promote labor management harmony but Congress instead passed that so-called Taft Hartley Act which has disrupted labor management relations and will cause strife and bitterness for years to come if it's not repealed and the Democratic platform says it ought to be repealed (laughs) I tried to strengthen the Labor Department. The Republican platform of 1944 said if they were in power, they'd build up a strong Labor Department. You know what they've done to the Labor Department? They've simply torn it up. There's only one bureau left that's functioning and they cut the appropriation on that so it can't hardly function. I recommended an increase in the minimum wage. What'd they get? Nothing, absolutely nothing. I suggested that the schools in this country are crowded, teachers underpaid, unpaid, that there are a shortage of teachers, one of the greatest national needs, more and better schools. I urged the Congress to provide $300 million to aid the states in meeting the present educational crisis. Congress did nothing about it. Time and again, I've recommended improvements in Social Security law, including extending protection to those not now covered. Increase the amounts of the benefits. Reduce the eligibility age of women from 65 to 60 years. Congress studied the matter for two years but couldn't find time to extend the increased benefits, but it did find time to take Social Security benefits away from 750,000 people. And they passed that over my veto. I've repeatedly asked the Congress to pass a health program. The nation suffers from lack of medical care. That situation can be remedied anytime the Congress wants to act upon it. Everybody knows that I recommended to the Congress a civil rights program. I did so because I believe it to be my duty under the Constitution. Some of the members of my own party disagree with me violently on this matter, but they stand up and do it openly. People can tell where they stand, but the Republicans all profess to be for these measures. But the 80th Congress didn't fail to act. They had enough men there to do it, and they, could, they had cloture. They didn't have to have a filibuster. There are enough people in that Congress that would vote for cloture. Now, everybody liked to have low taxes. But we must reduce the national debt in times of prosperity. And when tax relief can be given, it ought to go to those who need it most and not go to those who need it least as this Republican rich man's tax bill did when they passed it over my veto on the third try. The first one of these tax bills they sent me was so rotten that they couldn't even stomach it themselves. They finally did send one that was somewhat improved. But it still helps the rich and sticks the knife into the back of the poor. Now the Republicans came here a few weeks ago and they wrote up a platform. I hope you've all read that platform. They adopted the platform, and that platform had a lot of promises and statements of what the Republican Party is for and what they would do if they were in power. They promised to do in that platform a lot of things I've been asking them to do and that they have refused to do when they had the power. The Republican platform cries about cruelly high prices. I have been trying to get them to do something about high prices ever since they met the first time. Now listen to this one. This one's equally as bad and as cynical. The Republican platform comes out for slum clearance and low rental housing. I've been trying to get them to pass that housing bill ever since they met the first time, and it's still resting in the Rules Committee, that bill is. (laughs) Republican Platform favors equality of educational opportunity and promotion of education. I've been trying to get Congress to do something about that ever since they came there, and that bill is at rest in the House of Representatives. (laughs) Republican platform urges extending and increasing social security benefits think of that increasing social security benefits and yet when they had the opportunity they took 750,000 people off the social security roll (laughs) I wonder if they think they can fool the people of the United States with such poppycock as that There's a long list of these promises in that Republican platform, and if weren't so late, I'd tell you about all of them. <clears throat> I've discussed a number of these failures of the Republican 80th Congress, and every one of them is important. Two of them are of major concern to nearly every American family. The failure to do anything about high prices and the failure to do anything about housing. My duty as President requires that I use every means within my power to get the laws the people need on matters of such importance and urgency. I am therefore calling this Congress back into session on the which out in Missouri we call Turnip Day, I'm going to call that Congress back and I'm going to ask them to pass laws halting rising prices and to meet the housing prices which they say they're for in their platform. (laughs) At the same time, I shall ask them to act upon other vitally needed measures such as age education, which they say they're for. <laughs> A national health program. Civil rights legislation, which they say they're for. <laughs> An increase in the minimum wage, which I doubt very much they're for.
2: <laughs>
6: An extension of Social Security coverage and increased benefits, which they say they're for. Funds for projects needed in our program to provide public power and cheap electricity. (laughs) By indirection, this 80th Congress has tried to sabotage the power policy which the United States has pursued for 14 years. That power lobby is just as bad as the real estate lobby, which is sitting on the housing bill. I shall ask for adequate and decent law for displaced persons in place of this anti-Semitic, anti-Catholic law which this idiot timer says. If there's any reality behind that Republican platform, they could do this job in 15 days if they wanted to do it. And they'll still have time to go out and run for office. <laughs> They're going to try to dodge their responsibility. They're going to drag all the red herrings they can across this campaign. But I'm here to say to you that Senator Barclay and I are not going to let them get away with it. What that worst 80s Congress does in a special test, uh, session will be the test. The American people will not decide by listening to mere words or by reading a mere platform. They'll decide on the record, the record as it has been written. And in the record is the stark truth that the battle lines in 1948 are the same as they were back in 1932 when the nation lay prostrate and helpless as a result of Republican misrule and inaction. In 1932, we were attacking the citadel of special privilege and greed. We were fighting to drive the money changers from the temple. Today, in 1948, we are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. The haven of the ordinary people of this land and not of the favored classes or the powerful few. The battle cry is just the same now as it was in 1932, and I paraphrase the words of Franklin D. Roosevelt as he issued the challenge in accepting his nomination at Chicago. This is more than a political call to arms. Give me your help not to win votes alone, but to win in this new crusade and keep America secure and safe for its own people. (laughs) Now my friends with the help of God and the wholehearted push which you can put behind this campaign we can save this country from a continuation of the 80th Congress and from misrule from now on I must have your help You must get in and push and win this election. The country can't afford another Republican Congress.
1: So that was the speech. What did you think?
4: Uh, You know, I haven't... um, I'm not sure... Oh, Camp it's the magic spot.
1: radio. I, I, I'm putting it in later, post us recording it. You're supposed to say, yeah, that
4: was great. You know, I really enjoyed it. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> it <laughs> was uh, really a great speech. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah. A, and it's.
1: You know I'm keeping all that in. Okay. <laughs> That's what's funny about it.
4: Um, what I would have to say is, you know, Harry Truman had to deal with a... Uh, uh, a world war. He had to. He had to. Um, I read an article once where he, he deliberated for just days and days and days about uh, about dropping the uh, atomic bomb. Right. Was such a uh, such a deep moral issue for him, and he had to f- figure that out while trying to keep the U.S. economy afloat. Yes. And. So, so, you know, I'm proud to say that he's the namesake of the university I go to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm proud to say that I could, um, you know, the other Truman interns and the Truman grads in this building can go and have some, uh, I like to call it the namesake cake, because Mm -hmm. they're all there. Um,
2: But you've got to have this, too.
1: Remember when you're telling them, you serve the same people of independence. You served his hometown.
2: Mm -hmm. How about
1: that? Go it's around and tell cool. people that. You serve the people of independence because of your work this session. So good job. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Yay. All right. What final words do you have, Jill? Jill, um, we, don't, we don't know much about you. Okay,
3: well, I do a lot of constituent work in the Senate Well, of that's office,
1: all the time we have. So yes. No. No, Jill, <laughs> you do a great job. I mean, we even got another compliment um, from my good friend Casey DePasco, um, whose uh, father was a state senator. And kind of a political inspiration for me. She called here and said, you did a great job. Or no, it was on Facebook or something? I think it was on
3: Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... very nice.
1: I mean, the compliments are good, um, but compliments from people who actually know what they're talking about is good, too. So thanks for everything you do. Hopefully you'll come back next...
3: Yes, next next time. Because Kathy
1: Bauer was my legislative assistant for 10 years, and it was sad to see her go, but we traded up with... With Jill Quick, and thanks for everything you do for your constituents. You can always contact us in the office, and Jill will help you direct where you want to go. And that's so right. I'm, I'm That's happy your to job. Help
3: all the constituents that call,
1: and you're even helpful in this this little podcast that you're not so comfortable with.
3: Well, I'm just not used to talking out loud on the
1: because you don't have a face for radio. I don't. Right. <laughs> and Dan, thank you very much.
4: You know, Senator, thank you. Um, you know, I really took this internship thinking that um, you guys know who Jane Goodall is. Yes. 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 Like yeah, yeah. As, as you study with the apes that was kind of what I came into this kind of thing. I love that. You know what I've done
1: <laughs> I've I, I would I've used this and I'd start conversations I would say I'm going to tell you how to talk to politicians it's kind of like Jane Goodall talking to the apes <laughs> except the apes get offended when you get compared to the I'll work on that joke. Yeah.
4: Okay. And, and um, I just learned an incredibly Incredible amount, and I. There's still way too much that I have to. Uh, I have to learn. Um, what, was the,
1: what was the thing you learned the, the most? You think?
4: Um, just really how the process works. Okay. Um, I think something that a lot of people don't know, if they're not familiar with politics, is that lobbyists are not always the devil. They are sometimes the devil, mm-hmm. but not always. Um, their their jobs are to represent. Certain interests, and sometimes those interests are beneficial to everyone. Um, You know, like I would throw a shout out to uh, Colleen Coble. She's the director of. um, It's a very long acronym, but essentially her job is to go in and lobby uh, legislators all day and ask them, please support um, sexual assault victims, domestic uh, violence victims. Um,
1: And you have you know people like that. You have. Jay Hardenberg, who works for ARP for mm-hmm. our uh, senior citizens. Brian Colby is uh, uh, trying to work on uh, health care reform. Um, I call I always call those people advocates because I don't want to call them lobbyists, but they are lobbyists, right?
4: They're registered lobbyists.
1: Yeah. Otto Fagin, who works for uh, Better Education through the MNEA. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about all these folks that have come in here that maybe that's where you're talking. You've met some of these people and you're oh, maybe a lobbyist is not that bad, but... It, a lot of these people a, are activists.
4: It is. A, it, sometimes it's just a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, and in, in the and, the way lobbyists are portrayed that they have just insane amounts of money and they just dig up dirt and just blackmail yeah. legislators or they just have legislators under their thumbs. But really, it's not like that. No. Uh, it's something – they're just simply presenting their point of view and they're doing their best to make sure that it is represented as well as possible and it's the legislators job to balance one lobbyist with another That's lobbyist right. to their constituent and figure out which of this would best help the constituents right. and, of their districts and their state.
1: Good. That's good. And even and I would even say that the lobbyist for the city of independence in Jackson County and the lobbyist for Sugar Creek is he's an advocate as well. Wouldn't you say? Would you just would call him so. your favorite?
4: I don't know if I would call him my favorite. He's a very nice gentleman.
1: He He listens, so go ahead and say he's your
4: favorite. Hey, Phil, you're my favorite, obviously. (laughs) There you go. There
1: you go. All right, well, thanks a lot for joining us for Dialogue, and we may have to do another one of these special uh, Jeff City one next week since I'll be here, but um, thanks for listening. Anything else you want to add?
4: No, uh, thank you for having
3: me on set.
1: this has been a great show it's
3: been a great show and I would have said it just we, like you said
4: it alright thank you we didn't do a Phil Hendry uh, reference the you're the one always talking about Phil Hendry there we go
0: program has been produced by Courtney Cole, Chris Whiting, and Paul LaVota, all rights reserved. Thanks again for listening to Dialogue with State Senator Paul LaVota. Contact Paul on Twitter at Paul Lavota or by email at votelavota at hotmail.com with your comments or for syndication. Join us next week for more Dialogue.